welcome friends, fans, and colleagues. Uh, it is Wednesday, and uh, that means you can count on Voices of the Sacred Feminine uh, being here, um, you know, on the radio. So uh, thank you so much uh, for tuning in, and um, if you like that little snippet of music uh, that I started the show with, uh, it's a new piece. I haven't played it before. It is by the Reclaiming folks uh, from their uh, Fireside Chats. Um, a, a musical book. Uh, these are all activism songs uh, that they use for raising energy and in uh, uh, doing ritual. And this particular one uh, is called uh, We Are the Power in Everyone. Yeah, so uh, if you like that reclaiming stuff that I play now and again, uh, look for the Reclaiming Fireside uh, Chants um, uh, CD out there. I think, uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. And uh, I'm sure you're going to enjoy today's show. I am so glad to have with me uh, Judith Shaw. Uh, she's the author of the Celtic Goddess Oracle Cards, and uh, also her new Oracle deck is coming out called uh, Animal Spirit Guides. Uh, she's with me today, and um, she's going to be discussing mythology, folk tales, and the symbols of goddess and why they're so important and still relevant today. You know, we're going to delve into animal such as snake, butterfly, bee, reindeer, uh, you know, if there's time, maybe some more, like dolphin, bear, and owl. Uh, Judith's going to tell us why mythology is important in the modern world and uh, how it influences uh, divination practices such as these uh, oracle decks. Um, and we'll also talk a bit about animal spirit guides and their relationship to gods and goddesses and, and ourselves. Uh, but first, a little bit about uh, Judith personally. Um, she's a New Orleans native and a graduate from the San Francisco Art Institute. And she's always been interested in myth, culture, and mysticism. Uh, she feels like her work is inspired by nature, ancient wisdom traditions, goddess. And uh, she likes to combine whimsy and the esoteric. Well, she's no longer in New Orleans, fortunately, with those uh, hurricanes barreling down on the Gulf Coast there. Uh, she now lives in uh, the deserts of New Mexico, where she divides her time between painting and writing, uh, yoga, gardening. Uh, she sells real estate, and she likes to hang out with family and friends. Uh, she uh, has lived uh, abroad as well. She's lived in Mexico and Greece. And um, I believe that's where Goddess first began to appear in her work. Uh, no doubt uh, Greece uh, influenced that uh, tremendously. Uh, as I said, she's published her deck of Celtic Goddess Oracle Cards uh, back in 2017. And now she's uh, hard at work at the new Oracle deck, Animal Spirit Guides. Um, and she continues to write and, and blog on goddess mythology and folk tales. Um, her work has been used on several book covers and calendars, uh, and, um, and it's available in a variety of print forms. And I know one place I often see her her work is on the Femini Feminism and Religion blog, uh, which is a great one if you don't know about it. Um, in fact, she just posted something today uh, about the salmon and uh, how that relates to goddess. Anyway, uh, let's go ahead and get to it. Uh, Judith, uh, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Well, thank you so much. I'm really glad and honored to be here with you. 
Well, yeah, you know, we've been working on this a long time. I'm glad, uh, you know, I'm glad we finally are connecting here, uh, you know, because I think this is really uh, an interesting topic we haven't delved in to here at the show. Um, so let's just sort of start with the overarching theme of, uh, of mythology. Um, you know, how does mythology tie into um, divination practices like the oracle cards? and decks? Um, well, I would say that um, mythology is r- really where, where we draw, it's the source of meaning for so many symbolic things in our life. Um, and today we've got all of the science and the facts and a lot of, there are people sometimes are suspicious of mythology. They think that it's just a superstition or some people even think it's evil uh, it's often used as a synonym for an untruth um, but really myth stimulates our Im- uh, imagination and our aspirations and it holds the accumulation of our experiences and knowledge that we've gained in our lives and um, it can really affect oracle card div- div- divinations because it's the symbology that's drawn from mythology is so inherent in each card that you that you look at um, it can be and it can be a little bit easier to gain understanding of our current situation and and access our intuitions through oracle cards um, than sometimes you're trying to interpret our dreams which are also full of a jumble of confusing symbols that are often mythic symbols. So myth is really at the base of the meaning of what you'll find in oracle cards. Okay. So it's the myth that informs the symbol, and the symbol then represents the idea. Um, uh, So I think I have that right. But now let me ask you, how does a symbol... Um, take on a universal meaning, you know? I mean, like, you know, you can pick up a bunch of different dream books and the moon might mean something different in uh, every dream book, you know what I mean? Um, Is it a little bit um, more specific when it comes to, like, symbols of goddess, for instance, than just sort of generic uh, dream symbols? Yeah, it's a little bit more specific, but it can also still be a big confusing jumble of things because there's just been so many, uh, basically, millennia that the human human beings have been working with these with these symbols. Um, And in terms of the animals, it's pretty interesting. When I'm you know in developing this new deck, the Animal Spirit Guide. In addition to looking at the mythology, I'm looking at the actual facts of each animal's life, uh, you know, how its body is made, how it deals with its environment. And so much of the symbolism relates to the way these animals live and what their lives are about. So it's kind of like, I don't know what comes first, you know. I mean, probably the actual life comes first and then human beings attach mythic symbols to it as time goes on. I mean, we, we've always been right. great storytellers. That's part of our human experience, and I think that's what 
myth is uh, one thing that, that myth is about is helping us to understand the world that we live in. Well, you know, I'm thinking about Native American myths, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't know, they, to me, uh, they, they sort of stand out in terms of um, a spirituality that is close, closely associated with animals, you know. Uh, you know, you, uh, I, I think, you know, Native Amer- Americans, for instance, uh, might want to take on the attributes of the eagle because it can soar and it has great eyesight uh, and things like this. Um, is that sort of the same thing that happens with the goddess oracle cards as well? Um, in, um, I'm, I'm not sure I understood your question. I'm sorry. Well, um, well, no, that's okay. Well, let, why don't we why don't we approach it from this standpoint? Let's let's take snake for instance. Um, you know, okay. if you're a Christian, um, you know, you're an evangelical. Well, you know, snake is the you know the e- evil element in the Garden of Eden that tempts Eve. So, um, you know, if they you know if they were to use an oracle deck, you know, because they might think that's something of the devil. Uh, but say they would, you know, they see the symbol of the snake. Um, it might be hard for them to see snake as um, maybe a, a, a pagan sea snake as an you know an element that sheds its skin. It's constantly transforming. Um, I don't know. Speak to that a little bit, maybe about snake. Oh, yeah, yeah. I understand exactly what you're asking. Um, you know, the interpretation of myth and its symbols varies greatly according to a culture's worldview. And most of the really, really ancient myths were not written down. And snake comes to us from the prehistoric world. The original goddess of old Europe was basically the snake and bird goddess who were often seen as one. And it represented those, that union of, those, of the snake goddess and the bird goddess really represented that human experience that we're born of Mother Earth, which is symbolized by snake, and yet we aspire to understand more about ourselves and develop spiritually, which is symbolized by bird. And yet, as time has gone on, um, and the patriarchal systems (laughs) came into place, Many of the original characters, including the animals in goddess stories, are turned into something evil, especially when they have anything to do with sexuality. Because wherever there's sexuality, then the patriarchal religions often are trying to suppress that and and put that out as evil. And so Snake is really a perfect example of that. You've got, like you said, the, the Christian symbology of it is... You know, they see it as evil. I mean, snake tempted Eve and, <laughs> and the world fell and all of that. And so in terms of developing an oracle deck, I personally can't really address that because it's not my belief system and I'm not going to go there. And so if somebody were to draw a card like that and they were a Christian, they might be disappointed <laughs> or they might learn something. But like you say, they probably wouldn't even be using an oracle deck because they would see it as evil. 
Right, right. So let's talk a little bit more about snake, for instance. Um, so, you know, we know the snake sheds its skin. We know it slithers on the ground. Um, you know, what do those things, uh, how does that translate into um, uh, ideas that can help us with an oracle deck? Well, you know, it's interesting because transformation appears as a um, symbolic aspect with various animals. And snake, of course, is um, strongly associated with transformation, death, and rebirth. And um, in the sense with snake, it's really, it's kind of heavy. It's that, it's that tying together of heaven and earth that uh, it's like, you're down, you're in the earth, you're slithering on the earth, and yet you shed your skin and you're reborn. And um, so that's one of the physical realities of the snake, and yet it's been interpreted by human beings to lend something to us. Um, And snakes have had a strong presence all throughout the world in the belief system of the Aegean region during the Bronze Age. You know, any of us who are involved in the goddess movement, most everyone is aware of the Minoan snake goddess. We don't really have any stories about her, but the artifacts are proof of her importance. So the snake in that sense, and that's only one of the symbolisms involved with snake, becomes a a bridge between worlds granting access to spiritual wisdom and transformation. Okay, and it's and it's by virtue of that shedding of the skin that uh, we get this idea of transformation, death, and rebirth, correct? Correct, correct. And then the fact that it's so slithering on the earth is kind of what keeps it more sort of, in a sense, it's really like it. It, it, it can also be a guardian and an entrance to the underworld because of that being so in the earth and they live in caves and um you know there's there's one of my favorite snake goddess stories it comes from ancient greece and this is actually a a time in greece before the greeks were there it's a pelagian story and they had a great goddess named uranome and she was the creator goddess and she first separated water from sky and then she was very happy with her creation, and she was dancing across the waters, and she, the wind came up, and she caught it, and she rubbed it between her hands, and in doing this, she created the serpent, Ophion. Now, Ophion, he looked at Uranome, and he had some desire for her, and she accepted it. So he coiled himself around her, and she got pregnant. And so then she laid the cosmic egg, and she bade Ophion to wrap his body around it seven seven times. And that cracked the egg, and the earth came forth filled with flora and fauna. I just love that story. <laughs> it's a really positive, uh, you know, positive way of looking at, like, at snakes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, and I don't, I don't recall actually having heard that. So, uh, you know, so here you have uh, a snake as a as a creator 
uh, uh, well, I guess uh, a creator being in a sense. So yes, um, yes. so mm-hmm. there, there you have the the birth, the the birth from snake. Well, and I and I don't know. I was just thinking too, if someone pulled a card and snake came up, uh, the fact that they do live so close to the earth. Um, I would. I don't know. Uh, is it silly to uh, draw the analogy that about groundedness? Uh, maybe someone needs to be more grounded, or maybe they're too grounded and need to lighten up a little bit and need some, you know, some air. If um, you know they, they, you know, they're not light enough. To, would would that be an interpretation too? Um, you know, that could be. Though I don't know if snake is. Um, so strongly connected with groundedness as Bear is, who also um, has transformation involved with their um, their symbol with its symbology. Um, uh, Snake is definitely very connected to Mother Goddess and the love that we can gain from Mother Goddess for sure. And you know, okay. the, the the real truth of it is is for. For each person, and that's the beauty of oracle cards and the way that they differ from tarot cards, is that people are really free to just delve into their own intuition. And if you pick a card, and even if the guidebook that comes to it doesn't really say, oh, you drew the snake and so you need to be more grounded, that might be the intuition that you get from it on that day. And so you're you to feel that and interpret that and receive that wisdom. Okay, well, let, well um, let's go to Bear, because you just mentioned Bear. Um, why, uh, why is Bear kind of a, a, a more of a symbol of groundedness than, than Snake, for instance? Well, that pretty much has to do with um, bears and who they are. They are huge and they are strong and they are a very strong force that grounds us to the realities of Earth. They've got bowed legs, they can walk and climb with balance and ease, and they just have got this presence that's so big and strong, and it's kind of like it's pulling you down and grounding you on Earth. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and I wonder, does um, does their hibernation... Um, uh, you know that attribute of them. How does how does that play in? Yeah, well, that's where their um, their connection to transformation comes in, and but it's a slightly dis- different twist from that of snake, which is going into the you know it's real death and rebirth. It's shedding and then coming again. There takes transformation into its place of introspection and intuition. They go into hibernation. The, the female bear conceives actually in the fall and then goes into hibernation pregnant. So throughout her hibernation, she's pregnant. She's about to give new birth, and she's in the darkness. And it's symbolizing going into a place where you can be in introspection and and sort of get new intuitions about then what's going to happen when you come back to the light. Yeah. So it's transformation. Yeah, so that, it's just a slightly different twist. Yeah. And that ties into the, 
the wheel of the year because that's also the fall and winter is uh, when we believe that's what we all do anyway. Um, right. And, you know, we're, trans- we're transformed when the light returns, uh, you know, it, it, for, for us to be born anew. Okay, I get that. Well, you know, I would think butterfly would be another symbol of transformation, but um, is it different than snake or bear? Uh, yeah, it is another symbol, and it is different. It, uh, it has a much lighter feeling in its, um, its aspect of transformation. Um, the butterfly represents the element of air, new beginnings. But it, it, it's much lighter, its feeling, than either snake or bear. It's a symbol of the transformation. It's a symbol of transformation, but it doesn't so much focus on death and rebirth, but on the different stages of life and the beauty that's found in all of these stages. As, uh, well, it, because of the, it goes from larvae. Uh, I mean, I forget all the different. Um, uh, phases the butterfly goes through, but it's got the larvae phase, and and ultimately, ultimately, it becomes a butterfly. But there's different phases. There's different uh, exactly. That it, yeah, yeah, that it goes yeah. through in, yeah. in between. Okay, okay. Sure. Yeah, it's well, larvae, well, you know, and then it's caterpillar, and then chrysalis, and then butterfly. Okay. Well, um, your bio says that uh, when you lived in Mexico and Greece, uh, that's when goddess first began to appear uh, in your work. Um, does any any particular thing stand out for you that um, you might like to share? Um, well, I actually got involved with goddess and the goddess movement before that. I was probably 20 and I read when God was a woman and um, so goddess was always in my consciousness but you know I went to art school graduated with a BFA in painting art institute and, you know art world and none of that was acceptable and it's still not acceptable to the quote art world so I was trying to really find my voice as an artist and all of this stuff is in my head and I'm not really there going, you know, painting goddesses or anything. Um, and then I was living in Greece, and I actually became friends with uh, Carol Christ, who I'm sure many of your listeners are aware of. Uh, we were living in the same village on the island of Lesbos. And so she and I would go around to some of the different temples that were not even really uncovered on the island and do ritual. And... I think it was just being so immersed in that and and such a beautiful, beautiful place to live. I mean, the natural beauty, oh my goodness. The village of Molivos, you would see, you could see the sunrise from the Aegean and set in the Aegean. And so that together with feeling the ancientness of the place and doing the rituals with Carol, I think that's probably what opened it up and allowed it to come out, and that's when it started. And then I said, okay, I don't care what the art world wants. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Greece is a beautiful place. Um, you know, I was uh, I used to lead tours there, and 
we we spent a good deal of time there, and and it is an incredibly uh, beautiful, uh, just incredible place. And yeah. well, and I would imagine that uh, that B, uh, the B was a symbol uh, that you saw a lot of there. Um, did you want to talk a little bit about the, um, you know, the the um, you know, the bee as a sacred animal? Oh, yeah, bees. You know, certainly I saw bee and bee iconography there. And I actually uh, kept bees myself for a few years. Um, I'm not right now. I don't really have this, the, the place for it. But uh, it was just astounding. Bees are just such amazing animals, uh, insects or whatever. I'm not sure. Do you call insects animals? Well, I don't know. For the purpose of your of your spirit animals, um, uh, I would imagine bee is probably there, and you. I don't know that you make the oh, yeah. distinction between in, yeah. insect versus, you know, animal. You know, it's kind of just yeah. lumped in. I would imagine. Yeah, it is. It is. It, it was just so amazing, amazing to watch them create their homes and their and the honey out of their own bodies, and then there'd be days when. Um, We'd be, I'd be out, like, in my garden. I had this great patch of sunflowers, and the bees would just be like drunken sailors careening around the sunflowers with their little legs full of pollen. Oh, it was just amazing. But uh, anyway, yeah, bees really symbolize good luck, abundance, hard work, and, of course, community. Because bees really have no individuality at all. I mean, the, the individual is the hive. So everything in their life centers around protecting and nourishing their hives. Well, and, and also too, I um, I remember. Oh, it's been a while now, so um, I'm I'm really kind of grabbing back into my memory banks. But there's also the fact that all of the males serve the female, which is a kind of an interesting, you know, almost like a, a matriarchal utopia <laughs> kind of a thing too. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting um, because uh, the bee colony is made up of one one queen, tens of thousands of female worker bees, and several hundred male drones. And now the queen only leaves the hive once in her life, and she can live for up to five years. So she takes, during her first spring of life, she takes her maiden voyage, and her goal is to be impregnated by as many drones from other hives, they're always from other hives, as she can be. And then she returns to spend the rest of her life in the hive, and she's cared for by the worker bees. She lays millions of eggs, an average of 1,500 a day, <laughs> up to 2,500 wow. a day in the busy summer months, yeah. And then the female worker bees, they only live for about six weeks, but, of course, they're always being born, and they do all the work. So then the male drones, their really only purpose is to impregnate a queen for another colony. So they actually only live for up to four months, and they're never allowed to survive the winter in the hive because the hive wouldn't survive because, you know, they're, it's winter, and they're having to survive off of their stores. And not all drones get to mate, but the ones that do actually die in the act of mating. So, yeah, it's kind of a, you know, men always get a little upset when you tell them about that. <laughs> but it's the way of the bees. Well, it, 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 well, 
yeah, in a way, it's almost kind of a sad mythology, you know, uh, the short lifespans, and you know, it's all about birth and, and you know, and uh, you know, impregnation. Um, I don't know, you know, I, 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 maybe it's not such a utopia after all. <laughs> no, it's um, not exactly a utopia, but you know, uh, when I was keeping these, I kind of came to see it that, but the hive itself is the body and you kind of look at it like okay so i'm a human being and i'm judith and this is my body but it's made up of all these different cells and all these different things so the bees you know the drones and the worker bees and the queen bees they're just the cells of the body which is the hive ah yeah that's an interesting insight uh i like that uh-huh. well and and yeah. you know just a quick uh just a quick story um from uh from Greece about bees uh from me uh we were at Delphi and um uh we wanted to gather sacred water there and they had actually had a sink with a spigot um near the the water gathering place but it was it was just surrounded by swarms, hundreds, maybe even thousands of bees. And my husband always went on these sacred journeys with us because our trips were for women and men, although it usually turned out it was mostly women. And we all wanted to gather water, but we were afraid to, you know, go approach the, you know, the spigot because it was, um, you know, like I said, swarming with hundreds of bees. We didn't want to get stung. And because uh, we were really far from any kind of medical care if there was a problem. And, uh, you know, my husband, who's such a, you know, uh, s- such a goddess-oriented uh, fella and, uh, you know, has this, you know, this aspect of feminine energy, I think, about himself, you know, this gentleness, this, um, you know, just all animals love him. Anyway, he said, oh, don't worry, girls, I'll go get the water. So, you know, he started approaching the the spigot and he's just there you know he had no fear whatsoever he was talking to the bees and the bees were buzzing all around him and he and he filled up all of our water jars and you know he walks back to us and he said see there was nothing to worry about you just had to make friends with the bees (laughs) and um, I don't know I'll, I'll I'll just never forget that, you know. I mean, it was uh, one of those magical moments on the trip, you know. Uh, you know, it's, 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 I don't know, and I guess especially for some women who think, you know, men have no place in goddess spirituality, it was like, uh-uh, no, I don't think you got that right. <laughs> um, no, we're in this together. We need men too, for sure. But, you know, I think, you know, your husband just really um, – he intuited into the nature of bees, which, except for Africanized bees, which can be aggressive, the European honeybee is really not aggressive. And your husband approached them with an open heart without threatening them. He, I'm sure he walked slowly. He talked softly, which they like. They do not like loud talking. They don't like arguing. They don't like you know, sudden movements. So he did all that, and they had no need to sting him. He wasn't threatening them. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah he just intuitively knew exactly what to do, and, um, 
and yeah, it was uh, it, yeah one of our one of our great memories uh, from that trip to Greece. Um, uh-huh. Well, uh, listen, Judith, we we are going to take a quick break. Um, you know, I have some housekeeping I have to do, but when we come back, I want to take a talk a little bit more about some of the other animals, um, and maybe some of the ones that we don't think about very much, like maybe reindeer, for instance. Um, uh, and and also, I want to talk get into a little bit more about the link between uh, the animal spirit guides with the gods and the goddesses. Um, That sound okay? Sure. Okay. All right. So, uh, listeners, um, just a moment here because we have a clip from the trailer for Joe Carson's film, uh, Dancing with Gaia. Hello, let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is Drusilla Pettibone on Dearmist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example... The info about hinges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was very beautiful and I was amazed how it was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow. A visual feast and with so many layers. I am also pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work. It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com. Dancing with Gaia is available only at dancingwithgaia.com. And uh, I'm not sure if all the, our listeners know that Joe Carson, uh, who advertises here regularly on the show, uh, she's part of the Ferifaria, uh group. And, um, you know, that's a pagan tradition out there uh, some of you may or may not know about. And um, it was started by Fred Adams. And we're actually going to have Joe Carson doing a double header uh, in September, September 12th and 13th. Um, I'm really excited about that because on the 12th, um, Joe is going to be here on the show for the first time. Uh, she's going to be filling us in on this, um, you know, this tradition of 
Ferraferia. And then on the 13th, we're going to do something we've never done before. We're actually going to do a Ferraferia ritual. So you want to make sure you mark your calendars. Um, I think that's going to be uh, something fresh and exciting and, uh, and, and a lot of fun. And uh, because we've been talking so much about Greece, um, uh, some of you may know Laura Perry. She uh, is part of the people who are reconstructing uh, Minoan traditions uh, in the pagan community. She's uh, the uh, author of Labrys and Horns. Uh, just a quick, uh, a quick message from her before we get back to Judith and uh, her sacred animals. The Minoans of ancient Crete, an egalitarian society where women were honored, where the sacred feminine was revered, where peace and prosperity reigned for centuries. Hi, I'm Laura Perry, and I'd love to help bring the ancient Minoans to life for you. Explore Minoan spirituality with my books, Labrys and Horns and Ariadne's Thread. Embrace your creative side with the Minoan Coloring Book and discover the wonders of divination with the Minoan Tarot. You'll find all these at Amazon and other good online and local bookstores. Find out more on my website, lauraperryauthor.com. If you're uh, tuning in late, uh, I am here with uh, Judith Shaw. She's the author of the Celtic Goddess Oracle Cards. In uh, her next oracle deck uh, is Animal Spirit Guides, and uh, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about sacred spirit animals uh, and their goddesses. Um, so, um, so Judith, uh, let's uh, let's talk about maybe some of the lesser known um, uh, sacred animals. Uh, for instance, reindeer. Um, tell us a bit about reindeer and what that represents. Um, well. I- you're you're completely right. Lesser known. I, I had no concept of reindeer as having any um, uh, symbolic importance or anything. And I first discovered the importance of reindeer to ancient Northern Europeans a few years ago when I was researching winter solstice celebrations. And I have to say that what I learned was a great revelation to me and helped switch my own personal resistance to the dark, cold days of winter into an understanding of that time a greater understanding of that time is one of beauty and reflection, depth, and personal growth. And the reindeer symbolism is very rich. Reindeer is associated with journeys, confidence, stability, guidance, endurance, adaptability, sensitivity, abundance, fertility, life, life, rebirth of the sun, and soul journey. Wow. Well, and well, you know, I wonder if also a lot like cow or bull. Um, I mean, uh, people actually um, use the use the reindeer for sustenance. Uh, you know, in so many ways, uh, you know, the antlers, the hide. I think maybe even the milk. Um, does that factor in at all? Oh, absolutely. From you know the Paleolithic to the Upper Paleolithic. So, you know, before we started out agriculture, um, to northern peoples, the reindeer provided many life-giving elements. 
highly nutritious meat and milk. In fact, the reindeer milk is the most nutritious uh, mammal milk on earth. And then the hides for clothing and antlers for tools and, ador- and adornments. So, and the clothing yeah, made yeah. from reindeer hides is excellent for these cold places because one of the facts of their existence is that their hair is hollow and it allows it to trap air and so it offers thermal protection. Wow. So um, so what gods or goddesses is uh, reindeer associated with? Uh, well, reindeer is associated with gods and goddesses uh, of the northern people, people of northern Europe, and in particular, but not only, with some of the semi-nomadic people. So the Sami, who were and still are Siberian semi-nomadic people and reindeer herders, they really rely on reindeers reindeers for their survival. The doe was greatly honored by these people. She was considered the life-giving mother, and she provided them with all their basic needs. So their, their goddess is a sun goddess called Bewe, and she nourished them and their herds and helped them through the difficult months of darkness. So during that period, on the winter solstice, she actually flew through the heavens with her daughter, Beveneda, in a ring of reindeer antlers, and she would fling down fertility and life back onto the land. And on the winter solstice, the people would smear offerings of warm butter on their doorposts to help her gain strength for her sight for her flight high in the sky. So that's so let me ask and then you, or, a, Go ahead. Well, just a second. Let, let, let me ask you, so are you saying those people uh, use reindeer uh, as an aspect of deity or, or reindeer is maybe just one of the sacred animals of their deity? I, they, it's my understanding, and I could be wrong, um, you know, some Sami person <laughs> would probably know better than me, but it's my understanding that reindeer was associated with their goddess, Bewe. She, she herself, to them, did not um, shift in, you know, shapeshift into a rain, reindeer. But they did, there are legends that um, reindeer and shamans together would ingest the hallucinogenic mushrooms found in that area and take flight into the upper realms to gain and bring back wisdom. So, and they've been very, they've found. No, finish. Okay, they found what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, So they've found female shamans who have been buried, and they've had reindeer tattoos featuring antlers uh, filled with small bird's heads on their bodies. So more an aspect of their goddess. Yeah, yeah. I know when I was writing the Sacred Places of Goddess book, um, one of the parts of the world that uh, I noted as sacred sites of goddess was like the Altai Mountains in Siberia uh, for that very reason, uh, for those female shamans uh, who had uh, so many of the, you know, mystical symbols in the the reindeer, uh, yeah, being one of those. Um, well, and you're also making me think about, um, I wonder if some of these myths didn't inform the Santa Claus story of the reindeers, uh, you know, flying through the sky. I'm sure these myths are much earlier than Santa and his reindeers taking flight. 
Oh, absolutely. And this is what, you know, the Santa Claus myth came from. And the really interesting thing, though, is that uh, reindeer are the only species of deer in which the females grow horns and the females are larger and stronger than the males. And the males shed their horns in the fall. The females do not shed their horns. So the only reindeer that would be flying through the sky on the winter solstice is a female reindeer, not the male reindeers of uh, Santa Claus. <laughs> Interesting. Well, and, and yeah. you know, I can't help but make the association too. You know, we we're you know, of course, Christmas is all about consumerism, but. If you wanted to, you know, put a different twist on it, uh, the very symbol of the reindeer with all the abundance that they offer, uh, you could just cut Santa Claus out of it and use the reindeer as a symbol of abundance, you know, if you wanted Christmas to still be about um uh, you know, your real wealth sort of a thing, you know. Uh, I'm not talking about presents under a tree, but maybe, um, you know, the abundance one needs to live uh, to become their authentic self, to uh, be a better person, all those uh, sorts of things, you know. You said the reindeer is about stability, endurance, um, sensitivity, soul journey, you know, all the gifts that the reindeer brings, that those could be your Christmas gifts, if you will, you know, and we'll have to rename it. We can't keep calling it Christmas either. <laughs> but, you know, we well, could keep the gift-giving, you know, keep the gift-giving. It just wouldn't be junk under the tree that nobody really needs, you know. It would be stuff that we really need to go through life. Exactly. And, and I think that there's a, another goddess uh, who could really um, speak to what you just said, and that's uh, – Saule, who is a Lithuanian sun goddess, but she was also associated with the winter solstice and with reindeer. So the, the story goes, on the longest night, which was called Mother Night, that might be a new name for <laughs> instead of Christmas, we could have Mother Night, um, uh, Saule took to the skies in a sleigh pulled by horned reindeer. So that's really Santa Claus, right? <laughs> So, but she yep, journeyed yep. with the aid of her, mm-hmm, and she journeyed with the aid of her smith, who had forged a golden cup in which she caught her tears, and the tears were then transformed into amber. So during this flight through the heavens, she would throw these little pebbles of amber, kind of like little bits of the sun down, and apples down to the world of humans below. So the gifts were about the abundance of Mother Earth. And uh, and the gift also of belief that the sun will return. I mean, you can imagine back in the early times of humans living in those far northern climates, it must have been really, really difficult. They didn't have the kind of comforts that we have now, and they probably were always a little worried with spring really coming, you know. So, yeah, right, I think right. what you said was, is exactly in line with what these myths are talking about. Well, and I found out just recently, it's interesting that you said this today, uh, a friend of mine, she's, um, I mean, I'm going to loosely call her a medical intuitive because um, she really works with her intuition to know what stones a person needs for a particular ailment. And it came up in conversation um, about amber. 
and uh, the qualities of amber. And uh, she was telling me that uh, she was actually getting some shipped from Lithuania uh, because that's a natural resource there. Isn't that interesting? Um, you yeah, know, here you get that myth. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah. And then one other um, one other goddess I'd like to mention just in relation to, to reindeer is the Celtic Alen of the Waves. So people might not be aware of it, but uh, actually long, long, long ago, there were reindeer in the British Isles. There are no longer. But back in those ancient times, Alen was, was considered the guardian of the lays and the ancient trackways. And she's a horned goddess, and so she led the way on the migratory tracks of the reindeer and, open, and opened up those ways for the reindeer. But, of course, the reindeer vanished, wow. and now we have the deer, and she's now more associated with deer in the Celtic tradition. But way, way back in time, she was also associated with reindeer. Okay. Well, um, tell me, what, um, what other animals um, are, are little known? Um, I, I know owl, you know, we know a lot about owl and maybe cow because of Hathor. Um, but what other animals sort of, um, you know, stand out for you, um, you know, as, as sacred animals that we might not know about? I mean, like Hikate with the black dogs. Um, is that one you're familiar with? You know, I'm, I haven't researched intensely dog yet. It's on the list because there is so much, there's so much mythology with dog, especially in the ancient world. But one that people might not think of much um, as a sacred animal, but we all really love them, are dolphins. So, you know, dolphins okay. are highly intelligent and communicative. And they really do inspire a sense of joy in our hearts. Um, dolphin has also been seen as a mother goddess. So, for instance, uh, the Assyrians had a mother goddess named uh, Atargetus. I think that's how you pronounce it. And so there's one tale, and she's got many different stories and epithets and associations, but there is one that connects her to dolphin. And there's one tale about her that tells of a sacred fish of the Euphrates who pushed an unusual egg to shore from which she emerged as a mermaid. And later she gave birth to a fully human daughter, which she could not bear because she was a mermaid. She didn't want a fully human daughter. So she left, left her daughter in the care of doves and threw herself into a lake where she became the great fish mother and many believe as a dolphin. Other tales depict her as a goddess wearing the dolphin crown. So that's just one story of dolphin as a mother goddess. But dolphin hmm, is also, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm learning so much in developing this deck. I, I'm just loving it. It's like so great to learn all this stuff about animals that I had absolutely no idea. Um, but there's another story of dolphins that I would really like to share. And this this really illustrates Dolphin's symbology of playfulness, joy, compassion, and protection. And it comes from the Chinese, and it's the tale of the Baji, which is a two million year old dolphin species in the Yangtze River. And the way the story goes is 
There was an intelligent, caring, and beautiful princess who lived with her father, the emperor, on the banks of the river Yangtze. Upon refusing to marry the man her father had chosen, he punished her with the sentence of death. Taking her out in his boat, he threw her into the sea. As she neared death, a river goddess took pity on her and changed her into a baji dolphin. She told the river goddess what had happened. Angrily, the river goddess brewed up a big storm which sunk the emperor's ship. But with a compassionate heart, the princess, now dolphin, saved her father. He repented and started the tradition among emperors of offering special protection of the Baji dolphins. Since that day, she's been known as the goddess of the Yangtze and is a symbol of peace, prosperity, and protection. But sadly and unfortunately, with the end of the emperors and then the onset of the Industrial Revolution, the Baji lost their protection and they were officially declared extinct in 2006. Wow. So, beautiful story sounding um, to the animal. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, it reminds me of um, uh, the, Inuit, uh, the Inuit goddess Sedna. Uh, you know, she was a woman who didn't want to, I think, I think her story was she didn't want to be married. And I forget all the details, but she ended up, um, uh, I think, living in the sea and became a caretaker of the creatures. I think uh, she also didn't want to marry someone that uh, her, the father had picked for her or something. And uh, and she turns into this environmental goddess uh, where if, Did you know, the Inuit people or the people, um, well, she- I don't know if that, put, maybe that's one of her stories, but the, the uh-huh. aspect of her I know is uh, she, in my mind, she's sort of an environmental goddess. She's against greed and exploitation, especially mm-hmm. of natural resources, because if man exploited the animals of the sea and took more than they needed, she would basically cut them off and not give them access to the animals anymore. So they, uh-huh. they learned to take only what they needed as opposed to, you know, uh, you know she's a story against greed and exploitation and, and, you know, environmentalism. Um, yeah. But, uh, and, and, you know, and I know there were actually some river goddesses um, in, the, uh, in the Ganges, too. Um, I don't know if, if uh, they've gone extinct, but um, I'd be willing to bet that they were associated with, um, I mean, because the Ganges, I believe, her, uh, the river itself was supposed to be a goddess. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think that that's really the nature of goddesses once they, um, I mean, initially back in the very ancient, ancient days with the, you know, early Neolithic and uh, um, before that, it was basically just sort of one goddess. But as time went on and things changed, they got broken up into different, uh, different aspects, ruling different aspects of life and our places. So there are many place-specific goddesses which are protectors of that place and that land, that, that river, that well, that mountain, whatever. So I think the goddess right. and the goddess mythology has, I mean, that's the reason that I'm so drawn to it. Cause it's really, it's all about the earth and this is, we got one earth and <laughs> we need to take care of it. 
Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, is there something maybe we haven't said yet about the link between uh, the animal spirit guides with the, with the gods and goddesses? Um, uh, you know, I, 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 ju- I don't know if I've asked you the right questions to get that point across. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. I'm just kind of looking through my notes here to get to that. Um, yeah, well, you know, basically, the link between the animal spirits guides and the goddesses has to do with, um, really with the, the truth of each animal and then how that relates to each goddess. So, as the goddess in, as the goddess in reality is basically human's imagination of the manifestations of the origin of life and the bounty of earth from which we're born, She's always associated with many earth elements and beings. And as we've said, snake and bird were kind of the first ones. But um, as time goes on, things have changed and the goddesses got broken up into having really relating only to, you know, to a certain aspect of life. This goddess is about motherhood. This goddess is about the wild animals, you know, whatever, or a particular place. And so then each one of those goddess, goddesses has become associated with different earth elements. They're associated with metals and crystals and trees, herbs, flowers, colors, and, of course, animals. And so the symbolism of each animal, which I feel is kind of derived from human beings observing their behavior and then placing symbolic behavior on, symbolic meaning on it, mirrors well the symbolism that each goddess has been associated with. Well, you know, and I'll tell you, Judith, you taught me something today because, you know, I mean, I was a follower of Maria Gimbutas's work and, you know, and, and having had the good fortune of uh, seeing so many of the wonderful museums and, you know, Paris and Britain and, you know, and all the rest, I saw so many of these uh, you know, ancient bird goddesses, and I never quite understood the bird goddess. To, to tell you the truth, um, I didn't really understand that she was uh, kind of associated. I mean, I obviously I knew birds flew in the sky, but I couldn't really understand um, what was that universal meaning. But I think you're saying that the bird goddess kind of connected us. Uh, to the celestial realms, correct? Exactly. I, I also have, you know, all, I have all three of her books and just love her work so much. But, yeah, that's what I've gathered from it is that um, really, and really the bird goddess and the snake goddess, they're separate, but oftentimes they're together. You know, it might have a snake body and then a bird head. And it really makes, to me, it's made it clear that it's pointing to that understanding that we come from Mother Earth. We're part of the cycles of birth, death, and rebirth, and that's symbolized by the snake. But then we're seeking that greater understanding of ourselves as part of the cosmos and the desire for spiritual understanding and development, and that's symbolized by birth. And, you I know, see. it's interesting well, because and, and bear, bear is just another animal that's been really important since, you know, our beginnings, and um, there is the first written sentence from the old European script, which was invented about 6,000 years ago, reads, 
the bear goddess and the bird goddess are the bear goddess indeed. So it's kind of saying, yeah, the bear, the bear's part of this too. <laughs> they're all, yeah, they're all connected. Yeah. Well, and and I I can remember too in her books uh, in Lipinski Veer, which oh I want to say that's maybe in Eastern Europe. I may have that wrong, but I remember she had a symbol of an ancient fish goddess, and um and I could you know and and I don't know I was trying to think well what are the attributes of a fish you know why would you have a fish goddess? But I would imagine um it, it it's probably almost in a way like a rabbit they they um uh, you know they have so many young so maybe it's um it's a fertility symbol i, I mean do you, uh, it, it uh, are you thinking along those lines too or am i missing something yeah i think that the fish goddesses uh relate to fertility and i think they also really relate to that whole world of water, which is the world of intuition, the world of emotion, uh, those sorts of things. And you had mentioned that I had just published my piece on salmon, which really looks into that. And, of course, salmon, because of their ability to leap when they're on their return journey, they're also associated with air. And so it's sort of the, so they're navigating the watery realms of the unconscious, the intuition, the emotions, and yet they're also accessing the airy realms of intellect and action. So, yeah, I think that the water is that sort of feminine side and the air is the masculine side, and we're seeking unity and, you know, balance. Got it, got it. Well, you know, Judith, yeah. this has all been so fast, fascinating. Um, so let me just ask you: is, your your animal deck is not out yet, correct? Or, no. or correct me no, if I'm no. wrong. No, it's not out. I, you know, unfortunately, it takes a long time to uh, to create these. And my Celtic, I worked for five years on my Celtic goddess oracle deck, and I'm about two years in right now with the animals, and I'm hoping, hoping to get it finished sooner than a five-year total. But, you know, each one is a lot of work in terms of doing the painting and doing the research and writing the guidance that goes with it. So it, it takes a while. Well, you know, each well, people have to understand that each card in itself is a work of art. Uh, I mean, you know, they can't. They uh, have to, you know, really take take that uh, in, in, you know, and digest that because it's true. Yeah, yeah, and you know, generally, I think people do. I mean, the feedback that I get from the Celtic Goddess Oracle deck, you know, people are really liking it and appreciating the art and and the stories that go with it. So it's it's exciting. Yeah, I would. Okay. Um, well, Judith, um, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Um, is there anything uh, you want to say to close that maybe I haven't thought to ask you? Uh, is there anything? Um, I guess just basically that I'm uh, I'm I'm just so grateful to have been led. To this, I never thought that I would be creating oracle decks. You know, I just always thought of myself as a painter, and it was really when I started publishing on the feminism and religion blog, and I made a commitment to do it once a month. Like, what am I going to come up with every month? 
And I'm like, well, I always wanted to develop a goddess deck. I guess I could do that. And so one thing led to the next, and I got into the Celtic goddesses and discovered my, which is my own ancestry, and just kept going with that. And so I'm just very grateful to have been led to this new way of expressing what I want to express with my art, which really includes story, because I've always been into story and myth. And so I'm just very grateful for that. Yeah, I get that. You know, as a girl who grew up in New Orleans myself and grew up a Catholic in the Bible Belt, um, I'm always amazed uh, at how Goddess has taken me down this path. Um, it, You know, it really is pretty incredible. Um, well, for listeners, uh, if you want to find Judith's work, uh, her website is her name, Judith Shaw Art. Uh, 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 yes, com, And um, Judith, I just want to thank you so much uh, for being on the show today. I really enjoyed it, and uh, I think everything you shared was uh, was fascinating. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it, too. All right, then. Um, we'll talk soon. And listen, when this deck comes out, uh, make sure you come back, and uh, we'll let everybody know that it's available, okay? Okay, sounds great. Talk to you soon. Okay. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, well, listeners, uh, just real quick before I let you go, we've been talking about decks today. And um, another friend of mine, Heather Mendel, who is going to be on the show next Wednesday at 11 a.m., uh, she's going to be with me, and she's going to be talking about uh, the new deck she has out. And, um, and here's what she says about it. It's called the Parallax Oracle Deck. And she says, in the age of fusion, blended families, faiths, and food, where all of these blends are commonplace, um, what do you get when you interweave Kabbalah and Tarot? Uh, whatever name you choose, maybe it's t- uh, Tarola or Kabbalah, oh, uh, I can't even pronounce it, uh, it's a Kabbalah mixed with Tarot. Uh, whatever name you choose, the Parallax Oracle is born, the pathway to a practice of deepening our intuitive uh, that connects us with the underlying oneness of all life. On September 26th, mystic author and artist Heather Mendel introduces her new book in deck that interweaves both ancient wisdom traditions with contemporary consciousness as they dance in the embrace of the sacred feminine. Are you interested in learning uh, to read the uh, Tarot's Mina Orcana uh, with the heart of a Kabbalist? Well, uh, Heather is offering a, a four two-hour Zoom classes on using her new deck. You can email Heather and discover this is a highly original, powerful, and personal uh, connection with the cards that will forever change the way you think about both Kabbalah and Tarot. Uh, her website is sacredfemininekabbalah.com. Her email is heathermandel at gmail.com. And, um, yeah, she is going to be with me next Wednesday, uh, and you can hear more. All right, well, uh, that about does it for me today. Um, I hope you've all enjoyed the show, and um, I have some great stuff scheduled uh, for you in September, starting with Heather next Wednesday. Then we have that uh, uh, weekend uh, doubleheader, the 12th and 13th, about uh, Feriferia and the Feriferia Ritual. 
then Emmanuel Atier, who couldn't be with me last Wednesday. Uh, he's the producer of the Oneness uh, documentary series. Uh, he is going to be with me September 23rd, uh, followed by Marguerite Rigolioso the next Wednesday, and we're going to be talking about Mary, uh, the mother goddess, who she really was beyond the stuff you learned uh, if you were a Catholic or a Christian. Uh, yeah, I think that's going to be a fascinating story, uh, show as well. All right. Well, um, everyone have a great week. Um, hang in there. Uh, we will survive all of this and come out better on the other side. Uh, have no doubt. Um, you know, this is this is what it looks like to change the world, and uh, it's messy and. Uh, it's sometimes it's one foot forward and two steps back. Um, I, I know uh, I know we're living in scary times now, but I have faith that uh, uh, goodness and light are going to prevail against the evil and the darkness. Uh, I truly do. I think more and more people are more awake every day, and um, I really believe we've reached reached that tipping point, that hundredth monkey uh, here in the United States, and. Um, uh, we're going to be in a better place in a few months. So uh, keep a good thought. Do everything you have to do uh, to get your vote uh, counted. And um, if you have any questions about that, uh, you can email me at karentate108 at yahoo.com. Uh, some folks have sent me directions uh, to tell people what to do if they're worried their vote isn't going to count. Uh, in fact, maybe I'll read it on the show next week. Um, I don't have it with me right now. But you can email me in the meantime uh, if you have any questions because we can make sure all of our votes count. Um, it is not as, as dire as it seems. We don't have to go stand in line. Uh, we don't have to rely on the post office. We can make sure our vote counts with just a little bit extra effort. Okay, uh, that does it for today. Um, be well, uh, immerse yourself in creative things, don't watch the news, uh, and uh, just, you know, go someplace out in nature and, and breathe. Yeah, I, I think that's a good prescription for all of us. All right, thank you, friends. Thank you for tuning in. You're the gas in my tank. And uh, just remember uh, my prayer to you. May Isis embrace you in her golden wings. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.